Well, welcome again to Missio Church. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the elders here, and we are grateful that you are worshiping the Lord uh, this morning with us. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 15, uh, verses uh, 1 through 15. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, I believe that is on page 852. Um, I believe so. Don't quote me on that. But nonetheless. Um, Today we'll be looking at uh, Jesus being delivered up to Pilate and um, then being delivered over to be crucified. This is uh, the word of the Lord. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and they led him away and they delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy for the chief priests had delivered him up, that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus... He delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, we come in the name of Jesus, your son, our savior, the king, the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the king of all things. And Lord, we come as your people in submission to your word and in submission to your rule. We come recognizing that you are our fortress You are the one in whom we hide, in whom we live, in whom we have our being. You are the one that has provided for us the only means of salvation, the body, the blood, the life of Jesus. And through his sacrifice, you have atoned for our sin and brought us into relationship with you. And we are so grateful. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, over the next few moments, that you would speak through your word, that you would be glorified and edified in our worship, that you would be glorified and edified in our giving and in our fellowship. And, Father, we pray this not only here, but in every congregation that bears the name of Jesus in this community and in this, in this area, that you would build your church. And, Father, we thank you for the many ways that you're doing that. And Lord, we do pray if there are any in this room this morning who've yet to trust in Jesus, that 
that the Spirit of God would draw them to yourself and that you would be glorified in saving them. Lord, we pray for those around our country this morning who are mourning and grieving at the loss of loved ones senselessly taken over this weekend. And we ask that you would um, be with those who mourn, that you would bind up their wounds and that you would um, be glorified even in, um, in these moments and that you would, um, Lord, I, I, I just echo the prayer of John, the apostle, that you would come soon, Lord Jesus, and restore all things and be glorified as you do so. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, as we uh, read Mark's gospel again, we're coming close to the end. We've, we've entered chapter 15. If you just flip over a page, you notice that we end in chapter 16. And so we're, we're almost to the end here. And, um, you know, as you compare Mark to the, other, to the other gospel writers, to me, Mark is like watching Netflix. Like he's a binge, it's, you can binge Mark, right? It's, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. And we've said this before, where you want to you wanna go to the very next thing. Um, if you've ever watched, like I'm a binge watcher. My son Jonas and I, we binge shows. My, my, my son Jack has no patience for it at all. He's like, how can you just sit there and watch another episode? Because whatever, he wants to go do other things. But Jonas and I, we can, like we can get through episodic television in days, like, uh, like, like multiple years worth of television in a day or two if we wanted to. Um, and, um, and, and that's the way Mark is. Like, it, you want to move right on to the next, to the next narrative. And, and so um, one, of the, one of the things that I find challenging just in, in thinking through a text like this is, and, and, and these texts as I've prepared them, is just, man, I want to move right on because that's the way Mark is actually written uh, his, his gospel is to, to move us. And everything's been moving us to this moment. Jesus being delivered up, not just to Pilate, but then when we get to verse 15, that Pilate delivers Jesus up to be crucified. His entire gospel is about Jesus, this suffering servant, right? Because Mark patterns his gospel after Isaiah, and we're going to look at that in, in a moment. Mark patterns everything in his gospel after um, Peter's eyewitness account and, and after the book of Isaiah, and he patterns Jesus, his, his, he portrays Jesus, right, um, accurately, so he doesn't create a, 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 a made-up Jesus, but he, he patterns Jesus, he portrays Jesus after um, the, suf the, the, the suffering servant that Isaiah uh, gives us in the second half of Isaiah's uh, uh, book. And, and so what we have here is the culmination of everything Mark has been doing is about to happen as Jesus, the suffering servant, who is quiet and silent and submissive to his Father, is now about to be delivered up to be crucified. And so you have this moment where he has just, and, and we saw this last week, where Jesus has been on trial before the Sanhedrin, before the, the elders and the scribes and, 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 the, and the high priests, and now they, although they have pronounced him guilty and worthy of death, 
right? Because they, they, they said that he blasphemed, uh, he equated himself as one with, with, with God, and then he spoke against the temple. Those are the two charges for which they, they consider him worthy of death. But they themselves, although they're able to consider him worthy of death, they themselves do not have, um, they can kill him, but they really don't have the power to kill him, right? So they, they theoretically can execute him, but they really don't have the legal means because at this time, Israel is a conquered people. And so they, um, according to the law, the Jewish law, they can kill him, but they really don't have the legal means because they're, they're not even in charge of themselves. And so they have to bring him to the one who has power. So they bring him to Pilate, who's the, the Roman prefect. He's the Roman governor um, in, at, at this point in time. And, um, and it just so happens that Pilate is in Jerusalem because it's the time of Passover. Normally, Pilate resided in Caesarea uh, Maritima, which is, uh, is, is outside. It's about 70 miles away from Jerusalem. Um, about an hour or so by car, which they didn't have. Uh, but nonetheless, he's in Jerusalem at this point in time uh, during the time of Passover because um, lots of people coming to Jerusalem, uh, lots of opportunities for unrest. And Pilate needs to be there because there's a history of unrest. And Pilate has actually dealt already with two major moments of unrest, one positively, one negatively. Uh, according to Josephus, and so uh, who's a historian, and so we have them bringing him to Pilate. Um, Pilate's the longest uh, ruling uh, Roman prefect in in the history of of Rome's time. He, he he's he's in Jerusalem about twelve years. Now it's interesting. Uh, most of the gospel writers, or all all four of the gospel writers, they give us a, a, a picture of Pilate that you can almost feel somewhat sympathetic for Pilate towards the end of this, like, man, dude's hands are tied. He's got no choice in the matter, right? Uh, Mark, towards the end of this, says, wanting to satisfy the crowd. But, but what you have to understand, and, and, and if you look at outside sources, Pilate is not a sympathetic character. He's a ruthless, ruthless man who butchered many, many people. Um, and, and one can understand, if we remember who Mark is writing to, a group of Christians in Rome who are being persecuted, right? A group of Christians who they themselves are going to stand in front of Roman rulers, right? And, and Mark is showing them a Jesus who's going to remain submitted to the Father, who's going to remain quiet and steadfast and faithful in spite of opposition, right? He's going to show them a Jesus who's, who's just going to close his mouth and be quiet, take his medicine a little bit, right? And Mark's not going to show them a ruthless pilot because Mark doesn't really want to make it even worse for them. This letter or this, this narrative that if it comes into the hands of, of Roman rulers during uh, uh, the time that it's his first audience gets it, right? He's going to portray Pilate, not in a negative or not in a false way, but he's not going to portray him in, in a way that shows that Pilate is just a ruthless demagogue, 
right? So he betrays him in a way that is faithful to who he is, but doesn't tell all of who he is. He doesn't say, and they brought him to Pilate, that ruthless, mean, you know, um, guy. He just kind of makes him sound like, uh, Pilate had, you know. He says that they brought him early in the morning, right? And they bring them early in the morning. They got to get this done early in the morning because, uh, man, Italians, we don't like to work all day long. That's not true of all of us. But if you've ever been to Italy, everything shuts down around two, right? Everybody goes and takes a nap for a long period of time. Think, man, I need to go buy something at the store, but everybody is snoozing. What is going on here in this country? And then everything opens back up again around 4.30, 5 o'clock, and they, they don't eat until 10, or, you know what I mean? It's like craziness. Levi goes there with me. It's 5 o'clock. Levi wants to eat dinner. Nobody's eating dinner. They're just opening back up. They just finished lunch. Right? So Pilate does all of his business early in the morning, and he's done with work by probably 11, and the rest of the day is for Pilate. So they come to him early in the morning, it says. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests. Now you're going to notice something here in, 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 in chapter 15. Right? That it's the chief priests that are, are the primary instigators in chapter 15. Yes, there's the whole Sanhedrin that are involved in this. But that it's the chief priests that are bringing him to Pilate. It's the chief priests that instigate the crowd. Right? That, 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 that Jesus has seriously, he's, he's offended the whole of the, of the Jewish leaders. But the chief priests are the ones who um, really come after him in relation Pilate. The chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes, the whole council, and they bound Jesus and they led him away and they deliver him over to Pilate. Now this idea of deliver, right, we get the word deliver here in English, but it's the same word of Judas and betray. And, and it's over and over and over of, of the people of God betraying the Son of God, right, here, but delivering him over to the Romans, Right? It's the same idea that, that, that Judas sought in his heart an opportunity to deliver him over to, to the, the, the chief priests and to the, the, to the rulers way back, um, uh, and I, th I think it's in Mark 11. And then on and on and on, you see this idea of, of people seeking to deliver over Jesus, ultimately until the end of our chapter here, where Jesus is then again delivered over to be crucified. He's constantly being um, he's passive and he's constantly being betrayed, right? He's constantly being delivered over, right? In this first section, we have the suffering servant hand, is handed over or delivered over to a powerful man, right? And I, I put powerful in quotes because the power that he has is, it's, uh, it's not real power, it's perceived power. They bound Jesus. They led him away. They delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Right? And, and you, can answer, you can ask that question like two ways. Like, like you can ask it just the way I read it. Like, are you the king of the Jews? Like, I, I'm really asking the question. Or you could have asked it just in a really spiteful way. Like, are you? Are you? Do you, do you really think... Do you really think you're the king 
of the Jews? Like you? Right? The way it's actually written, it's just kind of a statement. Like you? You think you're the king of the Jews? You? You? And the only thing Jesus says in this whole text, according to Mark, I mean, John has Jesus and, and Pilate have, a, have an ongoing dialogue about, about his, his king, the, you know, the true kingdom and the fact that, that if he wanted to, he could have legions of angels come and, and, and that causes Pilate to say, so you really are a king. But here, Mark, fitting in with what Mark wants to do, that Jesus is a silent, suffering servant, says, well, you've said so. Basically saying, you yourself have agreed with the Jewish leaders that I am the king of the Jews. And this idea of king of the Jews, right, this idea of Messiah, right, later, later Pilate is going to actually refer to Jesus as Christ, right, Lord, Christos, ruler, uh, like the, 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 the king, right? It, it, it moves from just this from, from, from this idea of rabbi, of teacher, master, now to this idea of, of one who has uh, got some sort of, uh, in the eyes of Rome, uh, the idea of a political um, a muscle, someone who could uh, uh, lead a revolution. That's why Rome kills Jesus, right? They're not going to crucify Jesus just because he's a religious teacher. They're going to they're gonna crucify Jesus because they perceive him to be a threat Right? And they're going to interpret him as the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is coming to, to lead God's people from that which oppresses them. Right? Rome will interpret that as we're the ones oppressing you. We're, we're a foreign power who's invaded your land. Right? We understand from reading the scriptures that the Messiah came to to liberate the people of God from the oppression of sin once and for all. And he does that by offering himself up as a sacrifice by taking on the sin of the world, the, 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 the wrath of God for the sin of the world, the payment of sin, and thus freeing God's people from the penalty and the wages of sin. But we see this idea of king of the Jews multiple times here in this in this chapter, in verse 2, verse 9, right? Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Then again in verse 9, and he answered them saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? In verse 12, and again, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with the king of the Jews? In verse 18, right? Which I know is in the next pericope, but we can look at it anyway. And then they began to, sal to salute him, hail the king of the Jews. And finally in verse 26, when Jesus is being crucified, and the inscription they char of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. So this is why Rome kills Jesus. They perceive him to be um, a political threat. The Jews, they want Jesus killed because they thought he, well, they, they claimed and they charged that he was blaspheming against um, Yahweh, that he claimed to be uh, equal with the Father, and that he was speaking ill against the temple. If you knock down this temple, I'll, I'll rebuild it in three days, right? Like I'm greater than the temple. He was able to say that because he understood that he was the temple, right? 
The Romans, they don't kill Jesus because of those things, right? The Romans could care less about Jesus being, uh, claiming equality with the everlasting God of creation. They could care less, right? The reason the Romans killed Jesus is because he, they saw him as a political threat, the king of the Jews. But Jesus, in the midst of all of this, remains silent. He remains submitted to his father regardless of who or what stood before him. Pilate is amazed at this. And I want you to turn back with me to Isaiah. Right? Um, oftentimes, uh, in the second half of Isaiah, he talks about this suffering servant. And the most famous passage is in Isaiah 53. And Isaiah writes these things. He says, who has believed us? Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him, no beauty that we should desire him. Right? Such an anti-American idea. We look at those whom are beautiful. Right? We look at those who speak well, those who are dressed well, those who have it all together. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, right? We see that. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he, was, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. We're going to see that later crushed for our iniquities upon him the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we were all healed and all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet not he yet he opened not his mouth right the idea of him being silent like a lamb that was led to the slaughter like a sheep that before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who has considered that he was cut off out of the land, out of, of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for their transgressions. So this is the picture that Mark is giving us of Jesus. And his early readers would understand this. He's quiet. Verse 5 again, Mark 15, verse 5. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. And then there's this transition into verse 6. Now at the feast... He used to release, he meaning Pilate, used to release to them one prisoner 
from whom they ask, right? There's this choice, Barabbas or Jesus, right? There's, there's what's known as the Pascal tradition. This idea of what we would think of Pascal is, uh, is the Latin word and the, the, the Italian word for Easter. This tradition that would be, um, um, uh, that they would, they would release a prisoner to, to the people. That the Romans would do this theoretically um, wherever they were wherever they were conquering people, so that their prefects would do this. Um, they would release a prisoner around this time. And, and so at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner. So this wasn't really a Passover thing. It was uh, more of a, of, of a Roman thing. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrections, right? So um, this is a political prisoner. There was a man called Barabbas, and the crowd came up and began to ask for Pilate, ask Pilate to do for them uh, this. And he answered them, saying, "Do you really want me to release? Do you want me to release the King of the Jews?" For he had perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Right? Annas and, and Caiaphas, the, the, the chief priests. The idea of chief priests: a guy serves as chief priest for for a limited period of time, and so you can have multiple chief multiple people who had served as chief priests. And so these guys are conspiring against Jesus. And Pilate understands this. Right? And so you have, you have this choice between Barabbas and Jesus that, that Pilate gives them. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to give you Barabbas or do you want me to give you Jesus? Right? Now, we don't know much about Barabbas. Right? Mark tells us that he's, that he's part of an insurrection, that he's a murderer, and that he's part of an insurrection. Now, his name, Barabbas, right, um, it means son of the father, which is an interesting, is an interesting fact. Right? I, I'm not saying that there's much there, right? but that's, his, that's at least the name that we're given is this idea of Barabbas. It, it, it can be translated as, as Bar, son, Abba, father, or, or, or maybe son of the teacher, but, but son of the father. So you have, you have this man named son of the father as one choice, or you have the actual son of the father, right, as, as the other choice, right? And the way, that, the way that Pilate words it is he says, do you want Barabbas or or Jesus, who's also called Christ, right? And so you have this, this choice, a murderer or Christ, right? Which, which, which do you want? And, and they yell out, they want Barabbas, right? And then he says, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus, right? Now remember, if you think back to Mark chapter 11, verse 10, and I get it, it's probably not the same people. But the way that Mark uses the crowd in his gospel, right, uh, is, is that the crowd themselves, all throughout this gospel, they serve as a character, right? And so you have a uh, crowd in the earlier, as crowds press in and Jesus is healing, that's a character. And then you have crowd here, and that's a character. And then you have a crowd in Mark chapter 11, verse 10, yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. Right? Welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem as a conquering king. Right? And here you now have, a week later, just, 
just, just, just a week later, the crowd. Again, I get it. It's probably not the same cats. It's probably not the same people. But you have a week later, the same character in this gospel yelling out, crucify him. And behind them, right, stirring them up, is who? The priests, right? Instigating it. Now you'd say, well, well, why couldn't the crowd think for themselves? Why wouldn't they see like Pilate sees? That like, you know, Pilate's trying to say, no, no, no. What about this Jesus character? Well, there's no way the crowd is going to side with a Roman prefect over their own high priests. Like, there's no way they're going to they're gonna choose a foreign invading ruling you know, bureaucrat over their own religious leaders. So they just yell out, crucify, crucify, crucify. And so what Mark presents us, though, in the end, is that Jesus gives his life, his innocent, blameless life, for that of a guilty murderer who deserved death. And Barabbas receives the life that Jesus purchased for him, but that he does not deserve. Just like you, and just like me. Right? In this moment, Barabbas deserves death. He's a murderer. And he may think that the the sins that he's committed were justifiable because they're part of an insurrection. Right? That it was all for political purposes and political gain, and it was all to, to throw down the man or to throw down Rome, and that he was doing good for the people. But he was a sinner. And I'm a sinner. And you're a sinner. And in this moment, what happens is this innocent, spotless, blameless son of God, true son of the Father, right? exchanges his life as the people deliver him up, turn on him, betray him, cast him aside so that one who actually is guilty might live. And it's this presentation. Now, I get it. Barabbas is going to die again. Like, he's going to actually die someday and so forth and so on. But it's a glimpse, it's a picture of what what transpires through the cross and through the resurrection is that the guilty, you and I, because of what Christ accomplishes, we go free. And it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. There's no way, there's no way I, a guilty man, should not pay for my own sin, my own transgression of God's law. And that that Christ, who is not guilty, who is completely blameless, should pay my penalty, should suffer and die in my place. And it's easy for you and I to look at at this crowd and say how fickle they are and to say there's no way that I would yell, crucify, crucify, crucify. But with every time that I betray him and that you betray him, with every time that I turn my back on him, I show that I would probably be one of the people that would have been yelling, crucify him, crucify him, 
And so Christ exchanges his life. And, and Jesus doesn't put up a fight. Jesus doesn't say anything. But the chief priest, verse 11, stirred up the crowd to have them release them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. Verses 12 to 15, they shouted all the more to crucify him, right? Jesus, we see here, is flogged, right? Before he's delivered to be crucified, he's flogged, right? And the, the flogging is, um, you, you may have heard of the, the cat of nine tails. This is where he's tied to a post, and they, they pull out... Um, a strap of leather that's got metal in it and clay in it and all of that stuff, and they, they whip him, and by the end of that, his back is the equivalent of ground beef, and it's opened up, and many prisoners die as a result of that, and part of the, the reason the Romans did that is because it made it so that either A, the prisoner may die before they crucify him, or B, it's going to make the crucifixion, like it's going to make the process of the crucifixion, it's going to make it easier. Um, he's not going to last as long, right? And so what we see here is just the beginning of, again, the physical now suffering, right? I said a couple weeks ago that, that the mocking, I think, occurred, began to occur back in the garden when Judas betrays Jesus, right? And you see the suffering of Jesus, right, all throughout this process. And now you have the physical suffering beginning to occur as they begin to whip him and they begin to beat him, right? And I want to remind you again of what we read just a second ago in Isaiah chapter 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, verse 7, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is being led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is being before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Verse 5, Right? Pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are all healed. Right? As Jesus is being delivered up, right? Constantly delivered up, constantly from Judas to the, to the Jewish leaders, from the Jewish leaders to Pilate. Delivered up now from Pilate. To the, to the soldiers that will actually crucify him, right? Constantly being delivered up and for this purpose and this purpose alone, right? So that by his wounds, you and I, and Barabbas even, right, might be healed, right? So people of God, take great comfort in the fact that you have won who bore that which you can't bear. Right? You have one who, who bore that which there's no way we could bear it. And he did it in a way that set 
the pace and the example for us. Again, Mark is writing to a group of people that were in the midst of in the midst of suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he writes about Jesus as he faces his oppressors, as he faces those who are um, opposed to him, as he faces those who are um, persecuting him. And what we see is a Jesus who is not lashing back. We don't see a Jesus who is like tweeting out garbage on social media. Not that there was, I get it. What we see is a Jesus who is submitted to his heavenly father. He's, he's trusting his heavenly father. Even though it's costing him everything. He's not worried about his own reputation. Are you the king of the Jews? All you'd have to say is, absolutely I am. Not only am I the king of the Jews, I, I'm the king of the Romans, I'm the king of the Chinese, I'm the king of the Africa, like, I am the king of all kings. Boom, snap his fingers, it's done. But he didn't do that. He trusted his heavenly father. He trusted what his father was doing. And he willingly allowed himself to be beaten, scourged, crucified, dead, resurrected, so that you and I might live. All to the glory of his father. Mark writes these things. His purpose in writing it and writing it in this way is so that as you and I face opposition, which we face, we would face it in the same way that Jesus faced it. Trusting our Heavenly Father, not fighting for our own reputation, right? not fighting for our own fame or renown, but quietly entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you've accomplished and all that you're accomplishing through the work of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, the King, the only King, the King of all kings, the one who rules over everything and the one who is coming again to set all things right. Lord, we long for the day that Jesus returns. Long for it the day when there will be no more weeping, the day that there will be no more sickness, the day that there will be no more shootings, the day that there will be no more death. But until that day, Lord, we pray that you would continue, that you'd continue to redeem people through the power of the gospel, that you'd continue to sustain your people, that you'd continue to strengthen your people, that by a work of your, your spirit, you'd bring your people back to yourself when they stray, and that they would repent of their sin, and that you would continue to build your church, not for their sake, but for your renown, so that they may represent you in the world and be the people that you've called them to be and an army doing the things that you've called us to do. God, glorify yourself in your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.